Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. That'll be our kind of jumping off point text this morning, 1 Peter 5. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1224 in that Bible. We are continuing our series on spiritual warfare. We are talking about the different ways in which uh, the enemy is at work in our lives, and we're not wanting in any way for that to ever be a fearful thing, because as we've been singing about all morning, uh, we serve a God who is bigger than anything that can come against us. And so even as we engage with uh, who the enemy is and some of the things that he's up to, uh, we know the victory is won already, and our job as the church is to live out of and enforce that victory. So in World War II, there was a device called the Enigma Machine. And if you saw the movie, uh, The Imitation Game, it was a big movie out a few years ago. It dealt with this whole thing. And it was something that the Nazis had. And it was a code-making machine. And it's how they sent their instructions to their armies and different things. They would send it out. And it would get sent out in code. And then it would get decoded. And so these machines were all over uh, the Nazi empire and in the armies. And there was all these rotors and things you could switch to make it do different things. And basically, when you put it all together. I'm no math whiz, but there was apparently 150 quintillion different ways that this thing could send a code. And in the understanding of the time, that meant it was just completely unbreakable. There was no way that the Allies could ever break this code. And so the Nazis would send these coded messages out. The Allies could intercept them, but they didn't know what they meant because they couldn't crack the code of this machine. Now, what they didn't really understand at the time was the difference that computers were about to make in the world. So where brilliant mathematicians would have no way of cracking the code of this machine, when you start firing it through computers all day, every day, and computers are crunching the numbers and cross-referencing and trying to crack the code, computers eventually were able to do that. So the Allies crack the code finally of the Enigma machine. And when that happens, it turns the tide of the war. It is the single turning point of the whole thing. Because now, when the Nazis are sending a message to say, you know, move this army over here, the Allies know what's up and they can respond accordingly. Now when the Nazis are saying, send these submarines into this shipping lane, the Allies know that that's coming and they're able to adjust accordingly. Because when you know what your enemy is up to, that's just a total game changer. It changes the tide of the whole thing. And that is what we are looking to do this morning, is where the enemy is at work, we want to become very aware of what he's doing and what he's up to. Because if we're aware ahead of time what he's doing and what he's up to, we can respond accordingly. We can be prepared. We can fight back. And so we are looking to expose the plans of the enemy this morning. Let's take a look at our text. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're starting in verse 8. We have read this scripture already in this series, but this will be where we jump off from today. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That's a good promise there. 
And, and I like that those two things go together, those two paragraphs of that passage, because we are acknowledging that there is an enemy. We are acknowledging that there is a lion who has an agenda, as we've been talking about, to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet, the flip side of that is the end of the passage, is that the God of all grace is on your side. And even though there can be suffering and trials, even though there can be things where the enemy comes against us, that's never the end of the story. The end of the story is the God of all grace is going to make this right. So even where the enemy attacks and afflicts, he doesn't ever get to win. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is always Jesus wins, the victory is his, and we get to share and participate in that victory. That's always the good news when we talk about warfare. So we're going to go through a few things today. As we just look at that, uh, that picture, there is a lion out there. And so we need to acknowledge that because that is what the scripture says. And yet the beginning of this passage is be alert. It's not be afraid. And I hope we're making that clear as we go through this series, that it's never be afraid. It's be alert, be aware, open our eyes, and let's see where he might be at. And let's see uh, where we see him influencing our lives or where he, we see him stirring up dissension or whatever the case may be, but we just want to be alert to that. We don't want to be afraid because the God of all grace is with us and is going to restore us in this. We start from a place of victory. And as we go through this today, we're going to start to talk a little bit uh, about the practical side of spiritual warfare. We've done this a little bit so far, but we're going to be doing this more through the rest of the series where we talked about last week how spiritual warfare always starts in prayer. Right? Prayer is where the bulk of the battle is fought. Because in prayer, we call upon the one who is victorious. We call on the one who does fight for us. In prayer, we call upon him for strength and for power and for protection and for discernment. In prayer, we pray like Jesus prayed in the wilderness, away from me, Satan. And we push back in prayer. We call for angels like we talked about last week to come and protect us. We push demons back as we walked through last week a little bit. So warfare always starts with prayer. It can't happen without prayer. So much of warfare is in the, on the prayer battleground. And yet it's not just prayer. Because some parts of warfare are very, very practical. There are things that we actually do in our day-to-day -day lives that become an act of warfare. And as we go through some of that today, uh, some of you are going to go, oh, wow, I've been engaging in warfare all the time, and I didn't even realize it, just as I've been obedient to God's word, and just as I took that step of faith, and just as I spoke those words in love. And there's all these ways that we can engage in warfare uh, that are very, very practical. And, and so we're going to go through some of that today. And as we talk about the practical side of things, the principle that I I want us to kind of grab a hold of is this, is that the enemy brings what is evil, right? The enemy brings what is negative. The enemy brings what is dark. The enemy brings what is bad. And when the negative comes against us, we want to do the positive opposite of whatever that negative thing is. And we're going to give examples as we go through. But when whatever the negative attack is that comes, we step out in the opposite spirit of whatever that thing is. And we'll give you examples as we go. So we're just going to touch on uh, not an exhaustive list, but just certain areas where we can see pretty consistently the enemy is interested in bringing some influence and disruption in our lives. The first one is deception. 
And I'm not going to say too much about this this morning because actually next week we're going to take the whole Sunday just to talk about deception. Because Jesus says Satan is the father of lies. Every lie comes from him. And one of the biggest things he does is that he lies to us. And he lies to us uh, in our thoughts. He lies to us sometimes through other people. And so there are lies that we believe. And the nature of deception, of course, is that you don't realize you're deceived. We're not aware that we might be believing something about God that just isn't true. We might be believing something about ourselves that just isn't true. We might be believing something about our spouse that just isn't true. And so we want to have our eyes open to this. And so deception is the evil that Satan brings against us. It is the darkness that he brings against us. It's the negative that he brings against us. What's the positive opposite of deception? Truth, right. When the lies come, we come back with truth. And we'll go into much more detail next week. But we read God's word diligently because that is the word of truth. And we speak the truth diligently because we need to hear truth from each other. And we seek to always walk in the truth. We don't want to walk in shadiness or half-truths or exaggerations, but we are to be people of truth. And as we read God's truth, as we learn from God's truth, as we speak God's truth out to one another, the enemy gets pushed back. What he brings in as a negative, we come back with the positive. What he brings as evil, we respond with good. When the kingdom of darkness comes that way, we respond with the way of the kingdom of God. And as we do it God's way, the enemy gets pushed back. And that is spiritual warfare. So much more on that next week. Second one, disobedience. What we call sin. Iniquity, scripture calls it different things. It's, it's a falling short uh, or even an intentional breaking of God's commandments. So every time we don't do what God's word says, willfully or not, anytime we disobey, anytime we choose the selfish way, anytime we break a commandment, anytime we go that way, uh, we are sinning by definition. And, and where the Bible is a great big book and there's a lot of commandments in there, Jesus really simplifies it for us and says, if you just want to remember this, love God and love others. That really sums up all the commandments of God. And if you want a, a lot more detail, you can go through, obviously. But if you only remember one thing about the commandments of God, Jesus says, that's it. Love God and love others. Which means every time I don't love God well, I don't obey God well, every time I don't love other people well, every time I choose the selfish way, then I am sinning by definition. I am falling into sin. And everybody does it. And so this is something that even as Christians, we continue to push and, and struggle against. And so as we talk about sin, the good news is we know our sin is forgiven. Right? We know that. We know that God is not looking down on us, about to smite us with his wrath. We know that because Jesus went to the cross for us, that the consequences of our sin have been dealt with in God's eyes. That God looks at us as sons and daughters. We have been welcomed back to the table of God. We've been welcomed back, and we are told in Scripture that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That we don't have to tiptoe or be nervous about his anger. We can boldly come before his throne because of what Jesus has done for us. That's good news. And yet, even as we revel in that good news and worship him for that good news and are thankful for that good news, at the same time, there are still sins in our life that we continue to wrestle with. There are still things that we struggle with. We're not made fully perfect yet. And when we do fall into sin, it does damage 
to our relationships with one another. It does damage to ourselves. It can do damage to our walk with God. Like it, there are just so many things that even if the eternal consequences and the relational consequences with God are dealt with, it doesn't mean that sin doesn't still cause problems. There's a reason God says don't do certain things because he knows these things cause problems. They cause hurt. They cause damage. And so disobedience is something Satan's been doing from the beginning, right? As soon as Adam and Eve are in the garden, basically, Satan is there. And what he's doing right away is, are you sure you want to do this God's way? Did God really say, is that really what he meant? Do you think God meant that? Because I think God meant this. Why don't you go this way? And there's this luring, there's this tempting that happens. And so we understand one of the names for Satan is the tempter in Scripture. And yet, it's important to notice the distinction that he is the tempter. He can't make us sin, but he's there to tempt us to sin. Because James 1, 14 and 15 says this, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so we're always wanting to try and nip sin in the bud because it starts as desire and then it grows into something bigger. But James says temptation comes not when Satan makes you do something that you were never going to do anyway. It's when Satan finds something that you want to do and then exploits that to lead you into sin because we still have some of this stuff in us. And so that's actually good news because it means that every time I'm tempted, it's an opportunity for me to go, okay, wow, why do I want that? Why is that in here? Why is something in me being drawn to something that God tells me not to do? Satan is a master at exploiting those things. So we can blame him to a certain point of, hey, he knows my buttons. He knows how to get me there. He knows what I struggle with. He knows what my moods are and where to jump in there. He knows how to tempt me into sin, but he can't make me do it. Which also means every time I feel tempted, I can remember the scripture and say, I don't have to do this right now. I feel tempted, but I don't have to do this. I can choose a better way. And so as we uh, acknowledge that sin does damage, and, and Isaiah wrote it this way, your sins have separated you from God. And, and that's before the cross. So we believe that that's not really true, that, that our, our gulf between us and God has been brought back together at the same time. When we sin and when we walk with sin, we don't always want to pray in those moments. We don't always want to read our Bible. We don't always want to be with other believers. We don't always want to come to church. We don't always want to worship. We don't always want to talk to God. There's guilt and there's condemnation that comes with that. And one of the things the enemy does is tempt us to sin. And then when we sin, he's the voice in the heart saying, I can't believe you did that. What a jerk, eh? He lures you into it and then says, oh, what a horrible Christian you are. You call yourself a man or a woman of God. Like he gets us on both sides. And so beyond that, you know, so sin can still affect our perception of God or our perception of our standing with God. We can still carry condemnation. Uh, even if we know in our hearts we're forgiven, there can be something there. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did was run away from God, right? They didn't want to see him face to face. Their, their guilt and their condemnation pulled them away. And with each other, when we sin, even if I know I'm forgiven, that doesn't mean that I lose all the natural consequences. If I, if I scream at someone and deliver horrible words to them, I can be forgiven by God, but that doesn't mean I didn't just damage that relationship that now gets to be rebuilt. Again, there's a reason God says don't do certain things, because he knows the damage that can be done. And so sin, when we fall into it, and again, we all fall into it from time to time, it just opens the door. 
Because every time I choose Satan's way, every time I choose the wrong way, I'm walking into his territory. And when I walk into his territory, I just open myself up to get beat up, to get afflicted, because I'm on his turf in those moments. And so we're wanting to shut those doors in our life. We're not wanting to give him any opportunity uh, to get into our marriages, to get into our families, to get into our words, to get into our churches. We're wanting to, to choose the right path. And so if disobedience is the negative thing that Satan brings into our lives, what's the positive opposite of disobedience? Obedience, yeah. And so every time I choose God's way, over Satan's way, that's an act of warfare. Every time I do the right thing, even if the wrong thing is easier, that's an act of warfare. Every time I choose the loving path, even if my flesh is really wanting to do something else, I am doing an act of warfare in those moments. Every time we do what is right and what is good and what is godly and what is biblical, those are acts of warfare every time. And so we need to be in God's word, obviously, so that we can help understand what these things are and, and what we need to be doing. And when temptation is there, every time I resist it, like when Peter starts his passage, he says, there's a lion out there, resist him. Every time I resist the temptation, that's an act of warfare. Every time I make it through the day without doing whatever he wants me to do, I'm victorious in the warfare. And so we want to be knowing more and more what is it that we are called to do? How are we to live that out? Because every time I do what is good and right, I am pushing the kingdom of darkness back. Next one, disease, sickness, illness. And we talked a little bit about last week. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, every sickness is caused by the enemy. We, we are fallen people. We live in this world. Our bodies break down over time, uh, especially as we get older. And so there, there is an element of just kind of normal cause and effect. And yet, if you read through the Gospels, they make very clear that uh, there are certain sicknesses that Jesus encountered that were caused by the enemy, that, that, that a demon or Satan was at work uh, in these people's bodies. And so we acknowledge that this is an area that can certainly be of the evil one. And there's a story from the Assyrian Empire. This was a, a major empire that was around in the time of Israel in the Old Testament. They actually fought against and conquered Israel uh, at one point in the Bible. And they were just ruthless. They were bloody. They were brilliant. They were brutal and brilliant. And one of the things they realized is that somewhere in their empire, there was this mushroom that grew. And if you ate the mushroom, it made you super sick. So some guy ate the wrong mushroom one day and ended up unlocking a warfare strategy for the Assyrian Empire. And so this mushroom made you sick. So they would take this fungus with them when they went to war. And they didn't want to fight a battle if they didn't have to. So they were big fans of the siege. They would just surround a city and just hopefully starve them out. Uh, and that what they would do as they were besieging a city is they found out ways to get this fungus into the drinking water. And so they would just fill the, the wells and the rivers and the streams with this fungus. The people in the city would drink it, not realizing that it was a problem, and they would all get violently ill. It wouldn't kill them, but it would just make them so sick for weeks uh, that they just couldn't get out of bed. And you go, that's a brilliant warfare strategy, because if, you're, if every man in the city is sick in bed, then they can't hold a sword and fight back. Right? If all the women are sick, then, then all the kids are sick, then everyone's energy is just consumed with being sick and nobody's fighting. And so if Satan can make us sick, it's the exact same strategy. Because when I'm sick, I don't feel like praying. When I'm sick, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to be at church. I don't want to be encouraging to anybody. I just want to get through my sickness and wallow in my sickness and, and be sorry for myself in my sickness and, and just wait till I feel better so I can get back to all of those things. So if Satan can make us sick, that's brilliant because he can take us out of the fight. Because if we're not praying, we're not fighting. 
we're not reading our Bibles, we're not encountering the truth. If we're not meeting together, we're not being encouraged and filled in our faith. And so sickness very easily can take us out of the fight if we're not aware of it. And yet, as Jesus walked this earth, Acts 10.38 says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Healing was a huge part of Jesus' ministry. He declared war on sickness when Jesus walked the earth. He just, every time he saw it, it seems, he would just go to it and he would pray into it and he would deal with it. And I know we pray for illness here, uh, and we certainly need to do that and should do that. But just, there's something about this verse that just hit me, that it was just such a big part of what Jesus did was taking on sickness in prayer. Like, it wasn't just two seconds at the end of another prayer. Like, Jesus went after sickness uh, in warfare. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, obviously, we should do the same. We should be aware of that and, and aware of who Jesus is. So when it comes to sickness being a negative thing that enemy can bring into our lives, uh, the positive opposite's a little bit trickier because we can't help it when we're sick, obviously. We can't make ourselves healthy. Uh, but certainly there's a part of it that's really practical where we say, okay, well, we can certainly take care of ourselves to the best we can. We can look after our bodies and we can sleep well and we can work on eating better and exercise and, and getting our vitamins and all that kind of thing. So we can do that to take care of ourselves. Uh, beyond that, we can just be aware in this area. It's like, okay, when I'm sick, I'm not a very effective Christian. Just, of course, right? If I'm laying up in bed, I'm not doing a lot of things for the kingdom in that moment. My mood can be bad. I can be swallowed up in whatever I'm dealing with. And so in sickness, we, we push back by saying, I'm going to fight my way through that so that I am praying. And so that I am looking to my Bible and I am worshiping. And one of the things I've tried to do in the last couple of years is that every time I'm sick and I don't feel like worshiping, uh, I worship like crazy because I say, if the enemy's going to be in my body, I'm going to make him miserable the whole time he's here. I'm just going to, if he's going to drive me crazy, I'm going to return that favor. And I'm going to pray as much as I can. And I'm going to worship even when I don't feel like it at all. And I'm going to drag myself to my Bible because he's not going to get to take me out of the fight unless I let him. We only lose the battle if we give up. And if we choose, I'm going to fight my way through this and push my way through this, then when the enemy brings this negative thing into my life, I'm going to respond with the positive. I'm going to give thanks anyway. And if he's trying to take me out of the fight, I'm going to keep praying anyway. And if he's trying to keep me out of my Bible, I'm going to read my Bible anyway. And it's sometimes just going to be purely an act of will and honestly spite for the devil that makes me do it. But when we do that, we are engaging in warfare. When the evil comes against us, we respond with good. When the kingdom of darkness comes, we respond with the kingdom of God. And in so doing, we push the enemy back. Next one, distraction. And distraction shows up in many ways. Uh, as we go about life, there's a million things that can get in the way, and some of them are simple and practical, like a cell phone. Some of them are big, huge fears that have a way of consuming our thoughts and consuming our minds, and then everything in between. But if the enemy can get us distracted, if we stop looking to Jesus, if we get overwhelmed by our circumstances, if we get overwhelmed by our trials, then there's this, this kind of deflating that happens. Or again, I stop praying, I stop worshiping, I stop reading my Bible, I stop looking for help. I can get so consumed with distraction that I become really ineffective in this battle. 
So in World War II, the Allies were looking to invade Europe. Europe was completely occupied by the Nazi Germans, and they were looking to invade. And so how do you invade when, when another army can see you coming? Uh, we have spy planes, we have spies, we have photography, we have a lot of different things we can use in World War II, and so uh, how are we going to, to cross, if we want to cross right here and, and invade Europe, uh, how are we going to make sure we're able to do that? And so what the Allies did was they created what was called a dummy army, and this is a picture of a tank in this photo that's made out of plastic. It's not made out of metal, but from a spy plane, it looks an awful lot like a real tank. And so they built hundreds and thousands of these tanks. They made airplanes out of wood. And these things were never going to move or, or do anything in warfare. But they just started making thousands of them. And, and if we wanted to cross over here, they, they started piling this huge army down here. And they built this huge dummy army. And so the Germans saw that and said, OK, the Allies are invading over here. Let's be over here and be ready for them. And then the Allies went, aha, and jumped over there. And they were successful, they were able to make it because they distracted the enemy, it was misdirection. And they said, look over here guys, look over here, look over here, And so if the enemy can get us distracted, then, then he has a, a hook in us there. Because if I'm too busy in my life to, uh, to pray, if I'm too busy in my life to get to my Bible, and I think, honestly, this is one of Satan's big things, is just the busyness of life. And, and don't take time with your Bible, you gotta do this, 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 and this today. Right? Don't take time to go to church. you got so much to do this weekend. Just don't, don't be there. And it's just so easy to say, well, that makes sense. Sure, okay, I won't. Yeah, it is a busy day. And so there's this, the distractions of life and the distractions. You've heard me say before, I love technology so much, and I'm so worried about it at the same time. Like, I love my phone, uh, and I'm so worried about what it's going to do to it's more my kids than anything who are just growing up with it. And we're just trying so hard in our house to be careful about not being on it when we're with our kids and, and leaving it aside uh, when we're spending time together as a family because we just don't want them to ever feel like this is more important than you are because mommy and daddy are on it all the time. And so there are things that pull us away from the things that we should do. And the other distractions, I think, are just things like fear and anxiety and worry, and, and just these heavy things that very legitimately, like real sincere problems uh, that can take over our life and our thoughts. And uh, if I'm overwhelmed with fear because of something that I'm facing in my life, uh, then I'm not walking in faith in that moment. And if I'm not walking in faith because the fear is just so big, then again, it's just hard to pray. It's hard to worship. It's hard to, to go out and do good because the fear can be so consuming. The worry and anxiety can be so consuming. And these things have a way of just kind of getting in there. This is a, a minor story, but many years ago, uh, I had a mole on my lip and it was starting to get kind of black. And so I went to see the doctor and the doctor sent me to the specialist and the specialist said, uh, great bedside manner, said, we need to get that off right away because I got to be honest with you, that really looks like a melanoma. Like that's, that looks like the, the deadliest form of skin cancer. But we won't know until we take it off and get our results. And so <laughs> sleep well between now and then. And so it was a couple of weeks before I could get into the hospital and they took it off and a, a week or so for the lab results to come back. And it was fine. It was not a melanoma at all. Um, and so when he told me the results, he's like, no, it's acute, whatever. It's just normal sun damage. I was like, you could have told me that side of it too, right, back then. You didn't just have to say the horrible side. You could have said it could be other things as well. But for those couple of weeks, I was not the most effective Christian or minister that I could have been. Uh, because that word melanoma was a scary one. And so as I am, uh, you know, trying to pray and trying to, it just had a way of just kind of taking over my thoughts. And, and the internet's horrible, right? Because then you start Googling, oh, what is melanoma? And then it's like, oh, wow, I, I definitely have it now, according to the internet. 
And it's just so easy to be consumed with, with all this stuff. And so distraction is there in many different forms. And uh, the, the main gist of all of it is it takes our eyes off Jesus. It takes our eyes off who we are and who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. We're just distracted. And when we're distracted, we're not fighting like we should. And so the opposite of distraction is focus. And so sometimes that means, in very practical terms, that I need to get some things out of my life that are distracting. I was talking to someone recently, and they just said, I had to lose an activity that was just for me as dad. I had to lose that thing that I loved just because life was too busy, and I couldn't be the husband and father that I wanted to be with this activity here. So I had to lose it. I had to simplify. I had to focus. It sometimes is going to mean we're going to need to set boundaries around things like our devices and our technology to make sure that they're not consuming all of our free time so that we don't have time to be who God has made us to be. And then in those moments when fear comes, and those are unavoidable and, and often, again, very understandable. And, and of course, there are things that are scary. And people are going through stuff that are huge. And it has a way of taking over and consuming everything. But because of that, because that thing happens so naturally, that means we have to very willfully and intentionally focus on the things that we are supposed to be doing. We have to will ourselves into prayer. We have to will ourselves into the word. We have to will ourselves into fellowship. And when we're not doing great, it's so easy to pull away and withdraw and just kind of turn into ourselves. But we focus on what we are supposed to be doing and we step out and we do those things. And as the negativity of distraction comes, that's how we push back, where we say to Satan, you're not going to distract me. Even in the middle of all of this stuff, you're not going to pull me away from my Lord and you're not going to pull me away from who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. Division, we are coming to the end. If the enemy can get us fighting with one another, then he has taken us off the battlefield too. Because the Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the powers and principalities. Our struggle is against the enemy. The fight is against him. And if instead he can turn us against one another, then we're fighting each other. And if we're fighting each other, we're not fighting him. It's brilliant strategy. If I can get a married couple just focusing in on each other, then they are going to leave me alone, Satan says. If I can get a church fighting amongst itself, then they're not going to worry about me at all. And where scripture clearly says, don't fight against people, fight against the enemy, we ignore that scripture an awful lot. And we bring our fight to other people or our frustration to other people. There's a warning that Paul writes to the church in Galatians 5.15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And just a reminder, Paul's writing that to a church of lovely Christians. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You're going to rip each other apart. And that's true in the Galatians church. It's true in any church. It's true in any marriage, in any friendship, in any family, in any relationship. There's just so many ways uh, that we can focus our anger on other people and not deal with things in a really good and healthy way. In the American Civil War, uh, the nation turned on itself. America wasn't even 100 years old yet as a nation. And obviously America was gonna do a lot of good things around the world, and yet uh, this conflict breaks out and the northern states go to war against the southern states. And the war's four years long. It's not a super long war, but it's incredibly bloody. Uh, it's devastating. And there are families that are divided because they live in different parts of the country and there's different uh, you know, motivations and ideals that people hold to. And so there's this incredible, bloody, horrible conflict. And and it delayed America's destiny for a generation. Because when the war was over, they had to recover. 
And they had to, to rebuild, and they had to reconcile, and how are we going to be one nation again? And hundreds of thousands of fathers had been killed, and so the economy had ground to a halt. And, and for a generation, it took a generation for America to get back on track to who they were supposed to be and who they could be, because they had divided against themselves and turned against one another. And even today, 150 or so years later, uh, not everything is fully dealt with yet. There are still tensions between North and South, and there's racial stuff that was, goes all the way back to the Civil War. And so the division had such a major impact. And where America had the potential to do such great good, Satan got to delay that for a generation by making them fight each other. Because if we're fighting each other, we're not being who we are supposed to be. We're not able to walk in the fullness if our energies are turned against one another. So if division and disunity is the negative that Satan brings to our lives, the positive opposite is unity. Anytime we take a step towards unity, is an act of spiritual warfare. Anytime I don't respond with anger, but respond in love instead, that's an act of spiritual warfare. Anytime I swallow my pride and say I'm sorry, that's an act of spiritual warfare. Every time I humble myself and acknowledge I can do better in this relationship, that is an act of spiritual warfare. Anytime I take a step towards healing, towards reconciliation, in, in a, a relationship that's broken, asking someone out for coffee can be an act of spiritual warfare, where you just say, I'm taking a step towards unity. And where Satan wants to bring division, I'm going to take a step in the positive opposite direction because God wants me to love really well, and God wants me to reconcile, and God wants me to forgive, and God wants me to humble myself. So when Satan comes with his ways, we respond with God's ways. And we choose the path of humility and the path of reconciliation, even when it's hard. And as we do that, we push the enemy back. Last one is discouragement. And this is something we all face from time to time. Uh, when the Allies in America, the Americans especially, as they were fighting World War II, they were fighting the Germans on one front and the Japanese on another front. And there was a woman who became known by the nickname Tokyo Rose, and she was an American-Japanese woman, uh, Japanese by her background, born in America. But when the war broke out, she went home to her homeland because her family was there, and, and she helped out the Japanese side. And she spoke English really well because she had grown up in America. And so she had a radio program, and they broadcast it all day, and they sent the radio waves out uh, knowing that Americans were listening and trying to hear uh, what the Japanese were up to. And so she would just all day... Uh, be on the radio, and she would be saying things like this. Hey, American soldiers, uh, while you're sleeping on the dirty ground and you're cold and uncomfortable, I really hope your wife isn't having an affair back home. Oh, can you imagine? That must be scary for you guys to be worried about that while you're fighting over here and she's home sleeping with the neighbor. That's got to be tough for you to carry. And, and even though you're uh, worried about that and you're heading into battle with us tomorrow, your superiors have told you that you're facing about 10,000 Japanese soldiers, but you're actually facing like 150,000 Japanese soldiers. And we got tons of tanks and there's landmines. Like, you guys are walking into a massacre. And, and even as your wife is definitely having an affair back home and you're going to be dead probably tomorrow, what your superiors aren't telling you is that we've actually invaded America behind your back. And while you're over here fighting us near Japan, we've actually gotten halfway to Washington by now. And this is all going to be over. You're all going to be Japanese by the time this is done. So you might as well just put your guns down. And so none of those things are true, obviously. But the thought is, let's hammer the other side as much as we can so that they lose all of their motivation, right? Because there had to have been moments for soldiers where you had a thought of, oh, I hope my wife is okay back home, 
right? And I, they're saying there, that there's a huge army there. I don't think there is, but there could be. I don't know for sure. And, and if they did invade America, our superiors are probably not going to tell us that. And just the, the attempt to do everything they can to demotivate so that you don't have any fight in you. Because if you are discouraged, you don't want to fight. And it's so tempting to throw in the towel when we're discouraged. And that's the same with us and Satan. If he can discourage us, then we don't want to fight. We don't step up and pray, and we don't step up with the scriptures, and we don't step up to do the obedience that we're supposed to be doing and the good that we're supposed to be doing. When we're discouraged, it's just like, oh, whatever, forget it. Why? And discouragement can come in many ways, and some of it can be legitimate. We see in the story of Job, um, you know, family tragedy in his house, and then a loss of everything he owns, and then sickness takes over his body. And then his wife and friends who should be helping him just pile on the condemnation. And so the whole book of Job is basically Job yelling at God, my life really sucks, where are you right now? Like the discouragement's legit in his case. And, and we can be discouraged by anything from big, huge things to little, small things. Just the feeling of just like, oh, I don't want to open my Bible again. Right? I've prayed for this thing 87 times and nothing has ever changed, so why would I ever keep praying? It's just, I'm just sick of playing these games with God. I'm just sick of waiting. I'm just sick of, of this or that, and I, I don't like this about my marriage, and I don't like that about my church, and there's just this heaviness that can come down and this heaviness that can rest on us if we're not careful. But the opposite of discouragement is what? Encouragement. And again, this is one of those ones that we really do for one another. Because if I'm in that discouraged place, I need you to come and help me get up. And if you're in that discouraged place, I want to come alongside you and lift you up. And every time we speak words of hope, and every time we speak words of encouragement, we are engaging in warfare in that moment. Every time we give someone a hug who just really needs a hug that day, that's an act of spiritual warfare. And scripture also says about that kind of heavy feeling that can come, it says we put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That when discouragement comes and it's so easy just to get caught up in myself and my circumstances and again, legitimate things in my life that are overwhelming. In worship, I take my eyes off myself and I look to him. In discouragement, I focus on everything negative that's going on, but in thanksgiving, I focus on everything positive that's going on. And so where the enemy comes with the negativity of discouragement, we push back with the encouragement that we give one another and with the thanksgiving and worship that we lift up, where we say, I'm going to acknowledge where God is at work in my life. Even if this prayer hasn't been answered yet, I'm going to thank him for all the prayers that he has. And even though this circumstance hasn't shifted yet, I'm going to remember all the times my circumstance did shift. And as I do that, I'm taking my eyes off myself and I'm fixing it on him who is greater than anything I could ever face anyway. He's not worried about my circumstances at all. And in worship and in thanksgiving, I remind myself of that. And that's why we say when we worship here, that is warfare together. Because together we acknowledge who our God is. And so it's not just that I'm singing those songs for myself, but as I hear Henry sing that and Rick sing that and Antonio sing that, my faith gets built up. Because we're doing that together. We are encouraging one another through our worship and through our warfare. So where the enemy comes with encouragement the, or discouragement, the positive opposite is encouragement. And the encouragement that we give as we speak encouragement to one another and as we worship together. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. We would love to keep chatting about this if you have any thoughts or questions about anything. So today we talked about deception, 
disobedience, disease, distraction, division, and discouragement. Works of the devil brought to you by the letter D. How about that? <laughs> and this is not, I don't want this to be considered an exclusive or exhaustive list. I know he does things beyond that list, but we wanted to hit just some of the big main ones so that we can be aware where he's at work in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, in our workplaces, in our finances, in our bodies, in our minds, so that we can actually respond. We can actually push back. And the amazing thing about all these things, as we said at the beginning, that Satan doesn't ever get to win. He only wins when we quit. Because in our passage from Peter today, Peter says, yeah, there's a lion out there and he might get to, to afflict you for a little bit, but God is going to restore you at the end of this. This, this. this affliction, this attack is not the end of the story. There is good news at the end of this. And so when Satan comes knocking in deception or in, in division, when Satan starts afflicting in these different ways, it's an amazing opportunity for God to show up in your life in a new way and to take this and restore it and redeem it. Where we're deceived, God brings us truth. Where we're disobedient, God can bring us into holiness. Where we're sick, God can bring healing. Where there's distraction and division, God can bring his unity and his wholeness. Where we're discouraged, God can lift us up. These are all opportunities for God to do incredible things in our lives. And so we're not ever afraid. When Satan thinks he's attacking us, he's actually working his way right into God doing something awesome in our lives. If we will see it and if we will respond that way. So we are going to uh, take a bit of time and worship. We are going to spend some time in encouragement together and warfare together. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we close today. Jesus, we seek you first and we seek you only you because you're victorious because you have given us the victory over the enemy and he can try whatever he wants but there's nothing he can do to us when we lean on you he can't deceive us he can't discourage us he can't divide us there's nothing that he can do he's got no power over us because we come to you and so we thank you for that we praise your name we lift up your name and we bless your name this morning we thank you for who you are in our lives we love you amen thank you for being here this morning a few of us are going to be here at the front if you want to talk to someone or pray and if not we'll see you next week have a great week